0: Lights! Camera! Action!
1: When a script is written that is so bad that no one will film it, two men will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's a good part, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Table Reads, with Sean McBee and Patrick Duffy. Hey everybody! Hello everybody!
0: This is, uh, what, episode 63 now? Indeed! Christ, that seems like a, I mean it's a pretty random number, but it seems like a landmark anyway.
1: Some sort of weird milestone. Uh, 11 over a year's worth? Yeah, Sure. Sure we'll just we'll just go that way yeah
0: um, good good table reading <laughs> uh, this is part four of the six million dollar man uh, alternately the 1.6 billion dollar man aka uh, be. the bionic man yeah uh, all those things by kevin smith from 1996 you know back when he was um coming off the smash success of Mallrats.
1: I don't know if I could call it a smash success. I mean, I sure enjoyed it.
0: For the young among you, uh, *Mallrats* was not a smash success. *Mallrats* was a colossal, colossal failure at the box office, and still often considered his weakest film. I don't um, know about that by people who haven't seen his most recent films. (laughs) 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 That's that's where I was going to go. So, uh,
1: yeah. Previously on Table Reads.
0: Uh, this, this is real easy. You know, a lot, not a lot has happened in this script, honestly. It's been a lot uh, of dialogue. Direction. Yeah, there's, there's uh, some ninja attacked a bionics facility that's apparently part of some secret government uh, organization. Steve Austin, world renowned test pilot, astronaut, and I don't know, lover. Uh, not the wrestler. Gets in a plane accident, uh, in a top-secret stealth bomber and blows himself right the hell up. Uh, some nurse told him a long sob story that had no bearing on anything, uh, in, in his hospitalized state with no limbs. Uh, and he's just been made into, uh, the Bionic Man. Now, keeping in mind... That the bad guy, a guy named Clatch, because I guess that sounds like a robot, uh, was the prototype from the same organization, but his power cells drove him insane, I guess, so they did Steve's power cells differently, which we learned in an incredibly long and boring sequence that in excruciating detail went over... Every aspect of how Steve's bionic implants work. There were so many fade in and fade to.
1: And
0: And lots of voiceover. And montage! And Steve, uh, when we left off, had just been fully revealed to the audience as the bionic man. Fade in. Interior recovery room. Two weeks later, two week later, actually he went with the Japanese (laughs) way of doing, uh, plurals there. Two week later, Steve stands before a mirror. Clad only in boxer shorts, he studies his new body. He looks as he did pre-crash. Off the mirror, Steve examines his arm. He extends it back and forth, clenching his fist. Did it take him two weeks to try this? Apparently. I wonder if that mole is still there. He pushes his finger against the mirror. He slides his finger across the reflective surface, leaving the streak of a fingerprint. His fingerprints all look like Africa. (laughs) Steve notes this, amazed. While the audience is simultaneously amazed that he really hasn't asked about his fiancée. Hasn't asked to see her. Uh, pretty much just was like, you know, I had a mole that looked like Africa. Uh, that's it. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm just distracted by the fact that this guy doesn't seem to want to see his fiancée. No. They worked so hard to make us think that they're in love, too. Um, Can one really be in love with a coward, though? He then looks to his bedside table and spots a drinking glass. He picks it up and crushes it in his grip. Opening his hand, he tosses the shards into the trash and looks at his palm. Not a mark. That's that foreskin technology (laughs) for you. (laughs) Steve is taken aback. Then he remembers something. He looks at what was his good arm the one not damaged in the crash the scars that were there no longer remain oscar enters he gives steve the once over what the hell dude you threw my good arm away hmm <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> gives steve the once over <clears throat> tired of having sand kicked in your face try osi's new bionic overhaul and never be a wimp again <laughs> Come on, Beefcake. You ready to see what you can do? They took my arm. Steve's not in a joking mood. Oscar deflates a bit. They had to, to compensate for the robotics. Bionics. Is there any
1: left of me? Points to his chest. This is you, Steve. There's nothing to indicate I lived through that crash. No one would ever know. Some of us will never forget. I wanted those scars as a reminder of who I was. Who you are. You're still the same man. And men have scars, Oscar. I'll never have scars again. I'm without a blemish. I'm perfect. Perfect people don't bitch. I just wish they'd left me some scars or something to make me feel like me. Oscar hands him a marker. (laughs)
0: Oscar looks at Steve for a beat. Then he approaches him, turns him around so his back faces the mirror and lifts his boxers a bit. Oscar points. I knew it. Steve (laughs) looks down. There, on his upper thigh, beneath his ass, is the Africa birthmark Steve had talked about. Steve looks at it, then Oscar. He smiles. Exterior, mountain range, day. A biotechie outfits Steve with a monitor. He attaches it to Steve's chest. Another techie Velcro's shut a digital device that looks like a beeper. Remember beepers? Mm -hmm. Steve straps on a headset. Killian, Rudy, and Oscar sit before a bank of tabletop monitors in the fresh air of the Colorado Rockies. Killian speaks into a
1: microphone. Steve, you're going to be testing your speed today. The course is laid out with markers along the trail. We'll be able to monitor your heart rate and velocity with the devices you're wearing. We've got video monitors throughout the trail, so you'll never lose sight of you. So we'll never lose sight of you. Steve limbers up a bit, listening to his instructor. Just relax and take it easy at first. When you feel comfortable, pick up the pace. Wait.
0: It says Clatch, but I think it's supposed to be Killian. I think that's a typo.
1: Yeah, I kind of figured, but... I
0: think he was using an early version of uh, Final Draft, probably. (laughs) And Final Draft has this great thing. When you're doing dialogue, you hit tab, and you hit the first letter of the character's name, and it will automatically fill in the rest. Well, should I still do it as Clatch, because that's the uh, way it was released? No, we're going to let the (laughs) audience know (laughs) that it says Clatch, but it's clearly supposed
1: to be Killian. Okay. Just relax and take it easy at first. When you feel comfortable, pick up the pace. But don't overdo it. This is just a trial run.
0: Steve nods. He begins jogging in place, then heads off into the woods. At the table, the team monitors. Heart rate, normal. He's doing fine. Speed, five miles an hour. Steve trots along a path, past a marker. We can hear the sound of his breathing. A camera high in a tree pans with him as he passes. The image of Steve running is on one of the screens. Oscar watches it. He's past the first marker. How's he doing? Blood pressure's normal. Steve passes between some tall trees, picking up his pace a bit. His breathing remains the same. The monitor strapped to his leg jumps from 5 to 10. Back with the team, their monitors reflect this.
1: He sped up some. To what? Ten miles an hour. Heart rate hasn't jumped yet.
0: Interesting. Steve runs now. He takes a hill in a few steps. His breathing is normal still. Back with the team, the heart monitor beeps steadily along.
1: He's taking a 13-foot incline without raising his blood pressure. He's up to 13 miles an hour. How long's he been at it now? Ten minutes.
0: Steve whips into a clearing. He breaks into a sprint, heading toward a mountain. His breathing remains constant. At the table, the monitor picks up to 25, then jumps to 30. Mm. The team goes wide-eyed. That monitor okay? Steve takes the mountain base, breaking Nary a sweat. Nary, there it is. There it is again with that Nary shit. Yeah. Yeah. His breathing, as always, is unaffected. At the table, the monitor is now at 48 and climbing. Killian studies his data, eyes darting from the pages to the monitors, to the videos of Steve making his running climb up the mountain base. Rudy smacks the monitor that displays Steve's heart rate. Oscar's eyes jump between the two. Is that
1: possible? We were expecting 25, 30 tops.
0: His heart rate hasn't jumped. That's because he's expending very little energy. Not expending energy. He's running 60 miles an hour. Well, damn. But the bionics are doing the work. His cardiovascular isn't being taxed. As far as the body's concerned, he's doing nothing more strenuous than walking. Steve's feet dig into the earth, pushing his running climb. The monitors on his leg read 75. The team stares at their monitors, dumbfounded. Steve reaches the peak of the mountain and comes to a stop. He raises his hands triumphantly. The broken man returned. Endurance test montage <laughs> begins. One. Steve in the weight room. Killian inserts a pin into the weight pile. 200. Steve lays back and places his hand on the grips. He pushes up oh so easily. Two. The eye test. On what resembles a shooting range. Rudy hangs an eye chart on two pegs. He has Steve cover one eye and read. He does. Rudy pulls a switch and the eye chart drifts backwards ten feet. He urges Steve to read it again. Steve does. Three. Steve in the weight room again. Killian sets the pin again, this time 400. Steve again pushes it up with zero sweat. Four. The eye test again. The chart is back against the wall. Steve moves to cover his eye and read it again, but Rudy stops him. Rudy then turns off the lights. The screen goes black. Then we switch to Steve's POV, An infrared glow fills the screen. Mm -hmm. We see everything in night vision. It zooms in on the chart, giving us a crystal clear view. Five. In the weight room, close up on Killian, straddling the bench, inserting the pin to the heaviest weight. Suddenly, he shifts forward, his eyes darting about. He grabs onto the bench, cut out to reveal Steve lifting the entire bench, weights, seat, base, and Killian (laughs) over his head. (laughs) He smiles up at Killian. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha ha. Six Outside, Steve runs again, this time slow-mo, reminiscent of that shot from the opening of the old show. And that is your montage! Interior, debriefing room, slab rock, day. Steve sits at a conference table. Across from him sits Oscar. Behind them, a blank screen. How do you feel, Colonel Austin?
1: Sore. Ruby and Killian have developed worse endurance trails than eating a mean. (laughs) Give a scientist any sort of
0: budget, they chortle for a moment, then fall into silence. I can't tell you how glad I am that Oscar's at a loss for words.
1: Steve nods. I know, and thank you, my friend. What you're done for me is... what I'm—we're going to correct that. What you've done for me is nothing short of amazing, but I'd like to know why.
0: But right to the chase. Steve smiles. Oscar stands. Steve, it is our hope that you'll come to work for us at OSI, and by hope, we mean um, you are obligated. Like
1: legally obligated to do so or we will disassemble you and throw you in the ocean. <laughs> and now you will be the gimp because you have no arms and no eyes.
0: Steve, it is our hope that you'll come to work for us at OSI. Steve is flabbergasted. Your your OSI Oscar shrugs and nods. I'm sure you've heard many rumors about what it is exactly that we do at OSI. Some of them are probably true. Well, most of them are probably true. Oscar motions to the back of the room. The lights dim and images begin filling the screen behind Oscar. The first one is of Kennedy's assassination. OSI and you! (laughs) This is what created us. After the Kennedy assassination, we were set up to police our government's various agencies. And for years, we did just that. An image of Nixon's farewell address fills the screen. Sometimes we were effective. An image of Reagan's attempted assassination replaces it. Oscar shrugs. Sometimes we weren't. <laughs> Wait, Ugh. is he saying they, they failed to protect Reagan or they <laughs> failed to take him out? Who knows?
1: I'm really not clear on this. I want, I want to know what's happening. Well, you should ask uh, Kevin Smith if you get to talk to him. I certainly will.
0: (laughs) Sometimes we weren't. But where we found ourselves to be most efficient was in world politics. Or more precisely, areas of world politics where the CIA and NSA couldn't even make moves without creating international incidents. An image of gas lines from the 70s fills the screen. Making sure things like this... An image of Gaddafi replaces it. And this... Come to a quick end. We've never been detected, and we've never dropped the ball. Kind of stuff you're dealing in, I should hope not. I'm not gonna lie to you, it's pretty cloak and dagger stuff. Spying in this day and age? We call it preemptive defense. Short fuse potential problems before they become just that. And you think I can fit the profile? If you didn't before, with your potential now, well, let's just say I'm glad someone with your capabilities is on our side. Steve inhales deeply, exhales, and shrugs. Is there some sort of
1: secret handshake you're supposed to teach me here?
0: So you're in? What's the mission? Exterior. Skies over New York. Day. The Chitari fly around on their sleds as Thor- oh, No, God- <coughs> Going back to Marvel again. (laughs) A commercial airliner soars through the clouds. In voiceover, there's an international automobile manufacturer's trade conference in New York City this weekend. The chairman of Atoya Motors, Toshiro Toskagi, will be delivering the keynote address. He's the man we're investigating. Interior, airliner, Day. Steve sits in a first-class seat, studying a data chart. He's dressed in a suit. We'll supply you with an identity that'll gain you access into every aspect of Tuskagi's dealings. Once inside, the objective is to investigate Tuskagi himself, download his files, talk to his people, if possible, interrogate him. But at no point is he to be made aware of your agenda. Keep it all friendly. Steve studies files on a Tuskegee executive. Wen Yoshi. That is not a Japanese name. Now, that's, that's uh, what, Korean? That's a Vietnamese Vietnamese. first name and a Japanese last name. Huh. Wen Yoshi. His photo peeks out from behind the pile. The neural translator you've been equipped with will allow you to understand Japanese, but speaking the language will be a different matter altogether. So you're saying they had Google Translate in 96... I don't think so. He has a babblefish. Mm. Steve pulls a small device that resembles a micro cassette recorder from his briefcase. He inserts a thumb sized microdisc into it. Dr. Killian has assembled a rudimentary breakdown of the most basic elements of the language, skewing heavily toward vehicle manufacture and business, as they are more necessary for your mission than simply learning dirty words. Mm. Good luck, Steve. I'll see you in Washington. Steve pulls a pillow from under his feet. He places the pillow behind his head and leans back. He looks around furtively, then extracts a cord from the device, plugging it into the base of his neck beneath his hair. Not in his eye socket? (laughs) He leans back and closes his eyes. The device activates. Its tiny monitor reads, Downloading. I know Kung Fu.
1: Yeah, I was about to say that. I, I, I'm pretty sure the Waikowski brothers got a hold of this and used it as inspiration. Exterior, JFK
0: Airport Runway. Day. The airliner touches down in New York. Exterior, Trump Plaza Hotel. <laughs> day. Oh, man. Steve steps out of a cab, paying the driver. A bellhop grabs his bag. A banner out front reads, Welcome World Auto Industry. Welcome, World Auto Industry. (laughs) We have the best cars. We're going to put America first. None (laughs) of you are allowed to sell your vehicles here anymore. (laughs) Stop coming here. We're (laughs) taking our jobs. Oh, man. I'm really glad I got to do that. Me too. Um, Interior. Hotel bar. Night. Steve enters the bar dressed in a tuxedo. He looks around and spots Wen Yoshi, the Tuskagi exec whose file Steve was studying on the plane. We remember because his name is wrong. <laughs> a waitress passes Steve and grabs her. Excuse me, miss. What can I get you?
1: My friend over there. I'm playing a joke on him. I know this isn't gonna sound orthodox, but I can pay you for your effort.
0: What do you want me to do?
1: Here's my idea. Steve
0: begins whispering in the girl's ear. He holds up his room key, shaking it toward the off-screen Wen. The waitress laughs and nods. I want you to go up into my room and f*** his brains out. (laughs) At Wen's table, the waitress joins him. Wen studies paperwork. Hi, Wen. Wen looks up, taken aback. He looks around, then back at the girl. Yes, you handsome. I'm sorry, have we met? No, but we're going to, if you'd like. She slips the room key into his lap. Wen looks around, shocked, then back at the waitress. Twelve eleven. now. <laughs> she rubs his head gently and exits. Wen watches her go, amazed. He looks around, then at his paperwork. He tosses the paperwork into his briefcase and hurries out of the bar. Steve and the waitress watch him go. They giggle. Steve hands the waitress a hundred dollar bill. Can't thank you enough, my dear. This will be one surprise party he'll never forget. Steve heads off. Interior, hotel, eleventh floor, night. Wen steps out of the elevator and looks at the directions to the room. He hurries in that direction. Interior, hotel room, night. A key is heard being inserted into the door. The door opens, and Wen stands there, hesitating. Hello? Hi, Wen. Steve hides behind the corner wall. He speaks, but we hear the girl's voice. This is Steve in the waitress's voice. Yeah,
1: so I guess you have to do it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, get in here, you sexy thing. Wen shuts the door behind him and hurries into the room. Once he rounds the corner, Steve nerve whacks him <laughs> in the neck.
1: What the hell is that?
0: I think that's the old style TV karate chop that people yeah. would do to necks to knock people out instantly. I don't know where that came from, but uh. Uh, it was very popular for quite a while. Oh sure. Wen goes down out cold. Steve carries him to the bed and checks his pulse. Because Steve might not know his own strength. He might have just like chopped the whole guy's body in half. <laughs> uh, satisfied, he begins trying the ma- tying the man to the bre- bed frame. Interior, hotel room, later. Steve finishes taping Wen's mouth closed. Then he takes a stationary position over him and stares. Close up on Wen's face, passed out. Close up on Steve's face, concentrating. Steve's POV changes from normal vision to digital readout. It contours the unconscious man's face, measuring, cross-checking. At the bottom of the screen, a readout says, Visage Modification Enhancer activated. Close up on Steve's face as it slowly morphs into Wen's, except for the mouth. My god. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't me talking. (laughs) Steve looks in the mirror and is caught off guard. My God. He then notices the mouth. He looks at it, puzzled, then looks back at Wen.
1: (laughs) Duh, Austin.
0: He removes the tape from Wen's mouth and stares at him again, close up on Steve's mouth, as it takes the shape of Wen's. The phone rings. Steve answers it, speaking in Wen's voice that he's never heard. Hello. Except for one word. <laughs> yes? Toskagi-san wants to speak to you before his speech. We're in his suite. I'll be right there. What room is that again? Interior. Tuskage's room. Night. Toskagi addresses someone off screen. I don't trust my nephew any longer. There are things he's involved with. Well, I have suspicions he's involved with. I fear for my life, Wen. Steve as Wen sits across from Tuskagi. He struggles for something to say. What is it that leads you to this belief? I suspect that he's made alliances with... That's the third time you've said with and trailed off, dude. You need to <laughs> chill out. Just say what the hell you mean. Oh. <laughs> There's a knocking at the door. Steve, as Wen, answers it. A Japanese bodyguard leans in. They've started. Tuskagi-san is on in five minutes. They'll have to wait. Taskagi san needs some. Tuskagi places his hand on Wen's shoulder, shaking his head gently. This old fool was just prattling on when... Hey, no heed. He steps out of the room and into the hallway, patting the bodyguard on the back. Besides, I have Gon to watch over me. Isn't that right, Gon? Mm. Gon smiles and nods. He taps his watch. Tuskagi nods and turns to Steve as when... We should go.
1: If permitted, I have to use your bathroom, tuskagi son.
0: Toskagi waves Steve as when on. He closes the door to the room, leaving Steve alone. Steve leaps into action, <laughs> heading for <laughs> Tuscagi's closed laptop. Taking a seat in front of it, he pulls up his sleeve and opens a panel in his arm. He taps a few keys. Steve still as when, but in Steve's voice. Breaker 19. This is the Tin Man. You got ears on solid gold? Exterior. OSI Building, Washington, D.C., night. An establishing shot of the by now familiar OSI headquarters. That's a big 10 4, Tin Man.
1: Table reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. Harry Potter! What are you doing listening to Rogue Intel? That podcast is for Slytherin. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Every time I need to go buy a refill for my Slurpee machine, I go to rogintel.com Amazon. This way, I can get my Slurpee machine at the great prices of Amazon, and my Rogintel bodies get a little bit of a cut from that. And every time I make a Slurpee purchase, it makes me very, very happy to know that I am supporting my favorite chubby little body. Hi everybody, this is Renee. And this is Kim. From Round Trip. So if you love travel as much as we love travel, you should listen to the Round Trip podcast on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. Or check us out on iTunes at Round Trip with Renee and Kim. TablereadsPodcast.com. Lights, camera, action. So the movie's a good part. Which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, now back to Table Reads. Part of the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. Such an entertaining scene.
0: Yeah. It's very, um... Like, Connery-era Bond. I can, I can go with that. I mean... Connery did once pretend to be a Japanese guy.
1: (laughs) Uh, And he didn't change his accent one bit. No. No. Because he doesn't do that. He just had like a
0: bad haircut and some bad tanner. And it was like, yeah, that guy's Japanese now. And all the Japanese people around him are totally buying it. Man, the 60s were rough. Fade in. Interior. OSI Operations Monitoring. Night. In a room filled with computers, screens scroll with data readouts, LED, infrared, body temps, graphs, all awaiting link-up with Steve. Technicians cover every aspect, while Oscar and Sage look on. Have you been to see the wizard? Affirmative. Solid gold. I assume the cloak worked, but how's your Japanese holding up? It's very good. Interior, hotel room, night. Steve types
1: away at the terminal, speaking aloud. Keep the chatter down to a beavis-like, monosyllabic banter. And I'm ice cream. Have to shakes say, though... His head. What? Shakes his head. Oh, yes, thank you. I wouldn't have known I shook my head otherwise. Have to say, though, he doesn't seem like the mercurial type... And another thing. He's scared. What of?
0: Mention the nephew, who's apparently not here. Steve plugs a disc attached to a wire into the base of his neck. He slips the disc into Tuskagi's computer. Yes, he's our next line of investigation. But for now, you stick to the old man. Interior, OSI operations monitoring. Night. Oscar switches on a monitor. You ready to uplink?
1: That's a go, solid gold.
0: Interior. Hotel room. Night. Steve punches digits into his paneled arm control pad. I'm online. Now.
1: (laughs) Why the dot dot dot? Why the ellipsis? It's,
0: it's, I'm online now.
1: Okay. Well, we'll just go with that then.
0: Steve taps a key in his arm. Interior. OSI operations monitoring. Night. The screen fills with Steve vital stats as well as his POV from (sighs) OpMon. Oscar and his team can see what Steve sees, hear what Steve hears, survey possible damage, and keep track of Steve's health on a moment-to-moment basis. Oscar looks at the monitor that displays Steve's POV. We see the laptop Steve's working on. He's scrolling through data. Colonel, would you do Mrs. Sage and I the pleasure of checking a mirror, please? Interior, hotel room, night. Steve gets a perplexed look on his face. He looks up from the terminal. A mirror hangs on the wall in front of him. He stares into it, then understands. If you want to know who we are. Interior, OSI operations monitoring, night. On the monitor, we see the face of Wen.
1: We are gentlemen of
0: Japan. Oscar and Sage are taken aback. Sage then smiles. Amazing. Can you do three little maids from school while transmitting to Skagi's files? <laughs> Interior, hotel room, night. The laptop screen reads, done. Steve un- done. S- Steve unplugs the wire from the back of his head. From the panel in his arm, he extends a micro-antenna. He taps some keys his head bopping back and forth from side to side. Dude, this
1: is way too Inspector Gadget. I was just about to say that exact statement, yeah. Transmitting. Three
0: little maids from school, are we? Interior, hotel ballroom, night. The speaker is at the podium, addressing a crowded room full of well-dressed automobile executives. Seated at tables, finishing dinners. And
1: we're now, without further ado, from Toyota Motors, Toyota, Japan, the chairman and CEO, Hayati Tuskagi.
0: From backstage, Tuskagi steps out toward the podium, leaving behind his bodyguard. The bodyguard looks over his shoulder, noting two cops standing by the curtains. He then eyes the crowd, scanning. Bodyguard's POV, some security guards by a set of doors that lead out of the ballroom, Pan over to another set of doors, where two cops are chatting quietly. Pan up to a picture window high above the floor, unguarded. The bodyguard then looks up to Tuskagi as he stands at the podium, smiling at the applause he's receiving from the crowd. You'll have to forgive my English, which I learned mostly from watching Woody Woodpecker cartoons. (laughs) The crowd laughs. Tuskagi smiles. Interior, hotel hallway, night. Steve, as Wen, exits Tuskagi's room, pulling the door closed behind him. He walks briskly down the hallway, talking to operations monitoring. Austin out of the boudoir, heading for what I'm sure will be a scintillating lecture. Interior, OSI operations monitoring, night. Oscar smiles at Sage. A techie hands them some data. Just got the stuff you sent. Perfect. Your communications network processor is functioning at an optimum.
1: So's my bladder. I'm going to hit the bathroom, so I might be losing you folks for a bit. Colonel Austin, this is Mrs. Sage.
0: We'd like to continue monitoring from operations, and I'd be hesitant to break the connection just as a precaution. (laughs) Stay online. Interior hotel bathroom, night. Steve enters, shaking his head. Well, folks, you see, I'm pretty big on bathroom privacy. As uh, the viewer might remember from the first episode, where his fiance was unable to enter the bathroom to get her hairbrush because Steve was in there peeing. He's a coward. So they've established this bathroom privacy thing very early on. In Steve's first scene. For some reason. Oh for God's sake, Colonel Austin. If you don't look down, we'll never see it. <laughs> Steve slips on the floor, losing his footing a bit. He rights himself and looks back at the source of his stumble. From the bottom of a closet door, a small, viscous puddle of red and white juice pools. Steve stares at it. You getting this? Cleaning solution of some sort? Perhaps. Steve tries the door. It's locked. He looks around briefly, then pulls the door off its hinges. Out falls a body, nearly nude. Mr. Clean, Oscar? Interior, OSI operations monitoring, night. Oscar and Sage recoil at the sight. On the monitor is the image of the body, head bashed open like a cantaloupe, leaking the blood and cranial fluid that Steve slipped on. New York, New York. It's a hell of a town. Any suggestions? Anyone we know? Interior bathroom night. Steve reaches down and turns the body over. It's the bodyguard. It's the bodyguard. Bodyguard. It's the bodyguard gone, who had picked up Tuskagi. Oh my god! Steve, Steve, what is it? But Steve's already on the move. Q-q-q-q. we see his feet rushing past the fallen bodyguard and out the door interior hotel lobby night steve rushes past convention revelers and other guests heading toward the ballroom doors if you have any sort of backup i'd suggest calling it in something's going down here interior osi operations monitoring night oscar watches steve's pov on the monitor as it rushes toward huge doors Looks like our man Tuskagi has uh, made a run for it. Oscar and Sage exchange knowing glances. Interior, ballroom, night. The doors are thrown open as Steve as when rushes in. Some people shush him, urging for the closure of the doors. Steve then recognizes the voice of Tuskagi and looks to the stage. Tuskagi is continuing his speech to the seated conventioneers. Steve looks perplexed. He quickly cases the room and heads toward the stage. It is this precise level of craftsmanship that I refer to, a mark of pride and quality that this industry has forgotten since assembly lines are now almost 90% mechanical, which is why my plan for Atoya is to have the robotic lines phased out in favor of manned assembly lines by the turn of the century. The crowd breaks into applause. Tuskagi bows, smiling. Steve as Wen heads for the backstage area. Suddenly, a Japanese suit grabs him. Wen, you've missed almost the entire speech. Come, sit with us. Trapped, Steve as Wen allows himself to be seated at a large table of other Atoya execs. Tuskagi settles the crowd with hand gestures. I realize that many of you must think I'm crazy. The crowd titters. Tuskagi smiles. Yes, it was my company that started the unmanned lines years ago. But when I think of how many jobs that practice has eliminated, when I think of the families who were affected by this so many years ago, I am filled with shame. At the table, Steve as Wen fidgets in his seat casually searching the room. For it is the human element that makes any manufactured product worthy of purchase. Backstage, the bodyguard is no longer standing in his place. The two cops that were standing by the curtain are crumpled heaps on the floor. It is the human element that builds companies and sustains life. Tuskagi stands at the podium, fully engaged in his own speech. And it is the human element that keep ours as a world not run entirely by soulless machines. At that moment, Tuskagi's chest explodes into the crowd, a fist propelling his bones and guts out the hole it makes. Hmm. They were totally going to be down with that in 1996. I wouldn't care. The crowd screams and disperses madly. Steve as Wen looks up sharply. At the podium, the bodyguard withdraws his arm from the gaping chest wound it created in the now-dead Tuskagi. He lifts the body over his head and hurls it into the crowd. Tuskagi's body lands hard on the Atoya exec's table, much to the occupant's horror. Steve looks from the body to the stage. On the stage, a team of security guards rush the bodyguard. Quickly and violently, he dispatches them. In a very familiar fashion, Steve struggles to get through the rapidly fleeing crowd. Steve, what are you doing? Interior, OSI operations monitoring, night. Oscar leans into the mic, watching the mayhem on the monitor.
1: What do you think I'm doing? That guy up there is dead in the bathroom, yet he somehow managed to put a hole through Tuskegee.
0: Do not approach the subject. Sage
1: slaps Oscar's arm and shoots him a
0: fiery look. Repeat, do not approach the subject, Colonel Austin. He's not ready for this. (laughs) Bullshit, let's find out. Do not approach, Sage grabs her headpiece and barks into it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And barks into it. Colonel Austin, apprehend the suspect immediately. That's an order. Interior, ballroom, night. Steve, as when, tries to rush through the fast-fleeing crowd, but can't. Finally, he leaps over them, about 20 yards, and onto the edge of the stage. The bodyguard is engaged in dispatching more cops when Steve lands. He doesn't see the approaching Austin. He cracks the neck of the last cop and looks up. A large, ornate chandelier hangs above the crowd. The bodyguard leaps from the stage 20 feet into the air, just as Steve Aswen is about to grab him. The bodyguard lands on the chandelier, causing it to shake and swing beneath his weight. He looks to the picture window far across the other side of the room. Steve Aswen is flabbergasted. Who is this guy? He himself then makes the leap at the chandelier, landing mere feet from the bodyguard. The bodyguard offers a puzzled double take. Steve locks eyes with the bodyguard, then allows his own face to morph back to its true shape, that of Steve
1: Austin. Fun's over, big guy. Come quietly, or this gets ugly.
0: The bodyguard is shocked by this momentarily, then smiles widely. Now you can read this
1: as... Okay, because it's Clatch. Well, they finally updated the roster.
0: He allows his own face to morph back to into its natural shape. That of Clatch. Big reveal there. Steve goes wide-eyed at the transformation, perhaps more so when Clatch takes a second to rip off the temp skin that his previously exposed metal features. Clatch looks down at the crowd below. Bodyguards POV, or Klatch's, now that we know he's not the bodyguard. <laughs> Still amazed, still amassed, the crowd rushes about, fleeing. Clatch looks at Steve and smiles. He punches one fist into the ceiling, followed by the other. He lifts himself off the chandelier and kicks at the buckle that keeps the massive light attached to the ceiling. Steve clings to the chandelier as it sways, first from Clatch's leap off, then from his assault. Clatch kicks the buckle squarely, and the chandelier breaks free falling toward the floor, Steve atop it. Clatch laughs, pulling his fist from the ceiling and punching it in again a bit farther away, mimicking the move with the other hand. He does this repeatedly, climbing across the ceiling, moving toward the picture window on the other side of the room. Meanwhile, as the chandelier falls, Steve flips himself off it, leaping toward a blank spot in the crowd below. He lands and throws his arm up, catching the chandelier and absorbing the shock. Once people have cleared away, he sets it down and looks across the room. Clatch has made his way toward the picture window. Below him, cops fire their guns. The bullets, while hitting their intended target, seem to have zero effect. He reaches the picture window and hurls himself through it. Steve, surrounded by a curious crowd, watches the off-screen action. Excuse me. Steve dashes through the crowd, dodging the occasional roadblock, and leaps through the shattered picture window himself. Exterior, Hotel, Night. Landing on the pavement below, Steve looks up. Clatch leaps from car rooftop to car rooftop on the unusually fast-moving traffic of the New York City streets. A squadron of police cars and SWAT trucks screech up in front of the hotel. The captain rushes out, surveying the mess. He spots Steve standing amidst the broken glass and cement from the shattered picture window, and urges everyone to take defensive positions as he draws his gun. I've been reading for like twenty minutes. Why don't you go ahead and be the captain? Freeze! Put your hands in the air. Steve looks to the cap and captain. Captain. Steve looks to the captain and assembled police. He realizes that they're talking to him and moves toward them.
1: I- I'm not the.
0: The captain and the police team freak. Fire. The assembled police open fire on Steve. He's thrown back into the exterior of the hotel behind him, dropping to his knees. The end. That's it, he's dead. (sighs) The firing ceases. The police look at their handiwork nervously. Steve shakes off his daze. The cops look on, amazed as he steps past them, eyeing the captain angrily. This isn't L.A., you know topical. <laughs> Steve jumps into the air, grabs onto a street light, and spins himself into a swing across the four-lane avenue, landing into a perfect sprint down an alleyway. Exterior, City Street, night. Steve runs at breakneck speeds, eyes darting in every direction. Steve's POV, Infrared images with body temp enhancements flash on an LED screen that switches every few seconds with every direction Steve looks in. Then it zeroes in on one figure. A distance readout at the bottom displays 600 meters, then flashes to 300 meters as the figure becomes more recognizable, then flashes repeatedly until it reads 10 meters. The figure is Clash. He rushes into a subway entrance, effortlessly throwing people to the side in great distances as he passes. Steve picks up speed, dashing through traffic and over cars, reaching the same subway entrance in seconds. Interior, subway platform, night. Bruised and battered bodies line a path that Steve follows. The sound of an approaching subway rattles the terminal. Suddenly the window of a broken toll booth explodes as Clatch hurls himself at Steve, knocking them both off the platform and onto the rails below. Steve and Clatch stumble to their feet and immediately trade blows. Clatch throws a punch that Steve deflects into the wall, shattering cement and tile. Clatch kicks his knee up, catching Steve in the abdomen. He pulls his fist out of the wall and slams it into Steve's head, dropping him. Clatch grabs Steve's head and attempts to twist. Steve struggles in his grip. Clatch's face belies shock at his own inability to snap Steve's neck. He opts instead to bash Steve's head against the ground. And a train whips
1: around the bend, heading toward them. Okay, so essentially, insert scene from uh, the fight with Mr. Anderson and Neo from the first... Yeah, though, in... Kevin's defense, this came before that. Yeah, no, I'm saying the Wachowski brothers got a hold of this and used it as inspiration. There's no doubt.
0: Interior, OSI operations monitoring, night. On the monitors, we get a view of the filthy subway tunnel ground and Clatch's leg. Oscar checks the readouts. Some internal injuries, but his processors are intact and functioning at peak. This is almost out of hand. He's exposed himself and jeopardized the program. It may call for the fail-safe. No, goddammit! Sage reacts to Oscar's outburst. He's fighting for his life, Margaret, and you put him in that position! Give him a few more minutes! Interior, subway platform, night. Steve frees a hand and reaches up, grabbing Clatch by the neck and pulling him forward. He flips catch. Flip you for real. (laughs) Slamming his exposed metal face into the third rail. Sparks fly as Steve holds Clatch there momentarily, then pulls him up off the tracks, out of the way of the approaching train. Because that's how you defeat him. Move him away from the train. Mm. On the platform, Clatch kicks Steve solid in the chest, sending him sprawling across the floor, knocking what few people remain on the platform down. Clatch then leaps back toward the tracks into the path of the coming train. He punches his hands through the ground and pulls, straining. The tracks break free from earth with sparks and Clatch twists them upwards toward the platform. Leaping away just in time as the train horn blaring is almost on top of him. Steve shakes off his stupor and sees what Clatch has hatched. Ha, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> He sees the train heading, emergency brakes screeching, heading for the twisted track ramp, looks to the bystanders, both standing and injured, and reacts. RUN! The bystanders scramble as the train, unable to stop, hits the crumpled track slash ramp and jumps the platform. Steve lifts his foot and brings it slamming through the platform, lodging it firmly into the ground. He does the same with his other foot and braces himself, throwing his arms out at the approaching train. The subway train, teetering onto its side, races at Steve, impacting at about 50 miles per hour. It pushes Steve forward as he digs his fingers into the steel, getting a grip. Steve's feet race backwards through the floor of the platform as Steve tries like mad to slow the speeding car down. A drunken bum sucks with all his might from a turnstile token slot. What? He's sucking on a token slot?
1: <laughs>
0: what the f- A drunken bum sucks with all his might from a turnstile token slot. He lifts his face smiling, a token between his lips. Then his eyes bug. He sucked the token out of the I don't think that's possible. Man, he he must be a really good gay man. Steve and the train are rushing at him. The token drops out of his lips as he dashes up the stairs, just as the train smashes through a nearby wall. Steve manages to hold on, pushing against the force of the subway. The pair burst through pillars and security gates, smashing against walls along the way. Ahead, a mother pulls madly at her small son, whose jacket is caught on a turnstile. The kid cries, the mother screams. Steve looks back over his shoulder and sees the mother and son directly in his path. His heels dig deeper into the ground, sending debris and sparks flying. The mother pulls frantically at her son. Steve's face is one large grimace of pain as the train slows down from his effort. His heels dig even deeper into the ground. The subway throws less sparks as it grinds to a slow halt. Steve and the train decelerate to a stop, mere inches from the turnstile-trapped son. For a moment, all is quiet. Then the mother rushes to her child, tears of joy streaming down her face. Fade out. That was getting painful.
1: Yes, it was. Such excruciatingly detailed direction for that stuff well I guess that's uh back before the times when they actually needed to keep it brief and then just expand in the uh in the movie magic
0: I think Kevin just didn't know any better it was probably his first experience writing an action sequence
1: well he did actually write uh,
0: Superman Lives uh before this didn't he I don't think so I have the script I can check the date but I think it was 98 oh okay It's uh curious though. So hey, what um what you got to plug? What 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 should people check out from you, Patrick?
1: Uh, well, I uh, it, I'd like it if you guys checked out my podcast Prime, going to the and uh, checking it all out there. It is a uh, slightly more naughty when it comes to the language barrier, but uh, you know. Look, I, I listen to Prime and I can assure you all It is very... Eh. Hey. (laughs) Why why you gotta be down on Prime? Uh,
0: Because it's funny. Well, thank you. That's what really... No, it's funny to be down... You know, whatever. Really? TableReadsPodcast.com. You can download this script. uh, Check out our other scripts. um, And listen to episodes. And uh, hit us on Twitter. At theTablereads.com um and go to rogantel.com check out all the
1: great podcasts over there including prime well thank you for that and if you don't already go subscribe to this show by going to iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are broadcasted yes um by the way
0: Superman lives he wrote in March of 97 oh okay well so after yes all right well that is when that would be after. Yeah,
1: that's, that's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. That's another script you can look
0: forward to us reading eventually here on Table Reads. But for now, we're going to get out of here and we'll see you next week with part five of The Six Million Dollar Man.
1: The voice of Table Reads is Art Carlson. Hey, that's kind to matter. This has been a Rogue Intel production. Cut to black.